I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Sans Pants Radio, Australia's most well-read podcast network. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. I'm George Dimoros. This is a show where we ask you, what's your story and what does it say about you? Today on the show, we have comedian, podcaster, and man with a big beard, Anthony Geno. How are you doing, Anthony? I'm very well, thanks, George. Yes, thank you for being on. Uh, Firstly, I think I want to just give some context to everyone uh, who's listening. You are in the UK. You're obviously from Australia. The uh, yeah, you've been in the UK. How long have you been in the UK now for? Um, four years now, man. It's uh, it's been, it's it's been a a two year trip that I nearly ended in one and has now gone for four. Um, so that's pretty much the the thing. That's right, and uh, you guys. Do do you guys pip us now for longest lockdown or most brutal lockdown or is Melbourne still ahead? I, I don't know. I can't remember. It depends how you want to measure it. So what I what I would say is it has been literally twelve months since you could legally visit a friend's house. Um, oh really? W- yeah, because so what we had is from March to May we had three months of lockdown. Then we had three months of summer where we pretended like. COVID wasn't really happening. I went to Greece. I went to Cyprus. Um, <laughs> uh, just spreading at will. Um, yeah. And then we had from kind of September through to the end of November, a tiered lockdown that was like, we weren't officially in lockdown, but we may as well have been. And then from the start of December through to, it will be April 12th, I think. It's full lockdown again. So it's like eight months out of the last 12 and and no point in that time has it been legal to go to a friend's house. Damn. Yeah, no, you guys, I think you guys win. Yeah, no, that sounds rough, to be honest. And and it's cold and it's in, like, as in here, at least Melbourne, it's quite sunny. And even in our big, big lockdown, which is all one stretch, I mean, you got nice weather some days, you go to parks, everyone's just, it's spread out. It's a bit more spacious here, I feel like, than compared to, are you in London? Oh yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in like central central London. I'm literally ten minutes from ten minute less than ten minute walk from Cowbridge. It's um yeah, and and do you know what? I think this last one has been particularly hard because I think as an Australian in London, you always get most homesick in the London winter because we've never experienced cold like this before. It's grim. It's dark for like. You get maybe three hours of proper sunlight if you're lucky. And at the same time as that, all your Instagram feed is your friends in Australia in summer. And it's like, oh, I could be there, but instead I'm here. And that's hard at the best of times. You add that with people going to music festivals back home and I haven't left my house in three months. That seems cruel. Yeah, that's uh, look, I, again, I can relate to that. One of my, although at the same time, like one of the highlights of stage four lockdown for me was one when I was sitting there and uh, on Instagram it came up um, people in WA where they ha- didn't really have a lockdown at all. Um, it was a club and everyone packed into the club and they were rocking to a remix of Dan Andrews telling us that we can't go out or get on the beer. Get on the beer. So literally them dancing to our <laughs> premiere stopping us from doing anything and i was like this is the funniest thing you would put this in a sitcom like they're literally dancing going get on the beers i was like woo 
everyone's just coughing in each other's mouths, just partying. And I'm like, okay, look, this people might get upset about this, but this is too funny. You can't get upset at, at something being this cruel. It's too good. It is it is such a bizarre timeline that we are we are currently living in. It is Yeah, no, it is. It's definitely a strange one. Which uh which does tie into your book, but also, but before we get into that, we can go like because you you do comedy, you do podcasting. What what's your podcast like kind of you know in a split second? What's it about? So it is uh, the the tagline I try and use is hilarious takes from serious experts. It's me and a mate interviewing a different academic every week. Nice. All right. I like is in literally across all uh, any sort of industry, any sort of academia. Anything that interests me. It, it's quite literally. Is there a field of academia I would like to understand more? Yes. Okay. Let's see who literally email the univ- find the university faculty list, email the people on it. Who says yes to me? You're on the show. So we've done like dinosaurs. We've done the impact of psychedelics, um, the orgasm gap. It's, it's a real that, sound, that sounds awesome. That sounds like really, really interesting as well. Now I'm feeling stressed if I'm ever on your podcast. I'm like, I got to be the funny one. Shit. I want to drop some random facts. That's my whole thing. I mean, I mean, funny to a degree. I, I mean, just interesting. Interesting, right? Like, you just can't, you can't be. It is only when the comedian gets sucked into trying to academize with the academic, and it's like, oh, no, 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 no. This isn't a fucking TED talk or a fireside chat. You know, this is not supposed to be this. You're here to help me keep this very smart person accessible to other people you're not here to help them be yeah, like even more esoteric smarter um so yeah, yeah exactly because all because could you imagine what a weird fucking podcast it would be if just every week it was a different academic going deep dive like Every episode needs to find a brand new audience because nobody else can understand it. So, um, yeah, look, yeah. I mean, that's it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird I don't one. know. Yeah, as long as it's a, yeah, as long as the deep dives are accessible, I feel like, you know, you can still do all right with all that. <laughs> I, I, I just think often, often like academics are just used to talking to other academics, right? So they don't know yeah. where accessible is. What, and and I, I mean, not that they don't know how to talk to other people who aren't academics, but about their specific topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're used to mainly talking, explaining it to other people who get it. You, you probably got the same attitude me. Whenever I'm hearing that, I'm always trying to make it understandable. <laughs> I'm always like, "What do you mean? What? This is awesome!" Yes, yeah, a hundred percent. And 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 I mean, Alice Fraser said something really interesting, to, to, uh, which was that like the reason comedy is so appealing to to her or was to begin with was that if you want to tell human stories. You can get into academia where you get kind of siloed off or you can get into comedy where you can tell those really humane stories. But actually, if you're good enough, there's people listening. It's funny you're mentioning this because this is a topic that's full interesting because I've just read, I'm reading a book right now. Have you read The Gene and Intimate History? No. Have you heard of it? No. Tell me. Uh, So it's, have you heard of it? (laughs) That's all this show, that's all this podcast is. Me being like, have you heard of this book? Um... (laughs) insufferable because i'm i'm obsessed with evolution right it's my favorite yeah. topic in the world is anything to do with evolution and this book is about like the gene and essentially from the point of view of like its discovery so it's like it's the it's sort of the human people i guess involved a little bit because it's about all the people who discovered it as it goes along so as the people discover it from like all the way from what the ancient greeks were guessing it was to like mendel in his garden through to like watson and crick with dna it's it's kind of telling the story of how they found it and at the same time telling you what they found. So it's kind of doing a really good science, but also history, but also like a look at that. So it's really, really good. And one of the things it really highlights is firstly how crazy (laughs) academics, but I guess it's more scientists are, like in terms of like the level of insanity focus that they're going through. Like these guys like would go spend five years collecting flies and then tracking each individual fly and their eye color and then crossbreeding them and then seeing what the results were and tabulating that for like years. Yes. <laughs> you don't even know what the result is <laughs> and you're doing yeah. it. You know what I mean? Like, is yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, you look back now, you're like, oh, legit, you know what you're aiming for. They don't know. They don't no. know what yeah. they're doing. Like, <laughs> they're just tallying things. Like, the hypothesis could be null. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 
I'm not a scientist. I, I haven't done any research on this. But I would imagine if you look just law of statistics, most or at least 50% of scientific experiments are probably null, right? You're probably yeah. wrong most of the time. You'd think so. Yeah, exactly. Like you, it could be just a full wrong – you're going down the wrong path or whatever. You're collecting data and it ends up being pointless. So that's a – but it's made me appreciate like the idea of that grind – that yeah, idea of the yeah. academics, it's science, so it's not academia technically, uh, but like the idea of just like that day in, day out, just ultra focused on this small, minute thing for years and years. And I'm like, that's, that's kind of legit. Actually, that Dude. ties into almost the book as well. Yeah. It sounds like a cool podcast and uh, nice, nice to have hobbies during lockdown, right? I, 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 not even just hobbies. Nice to have a reason to talk to strangers. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just well. Do you, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, do you, and you live with your you got a girlfriend? My wife. Yeah, your wife, wife, wife. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's uh. So you got an English broad? No, she's Australian as well. But we met here. Okay. How my God, there's that many Australians. How, how fun is that? You're doing the immigrant thing, <laughs> like, where you go to a new country and you marry intermarry with the people from your country back home, but it's an Australian <laughs> in England. That's so. So here's. I, I will condense the, the story down very, very quickly. Moved to, to London after a 10-year breakup in uh, London winter because my, my genius idea was if I go during winter, I'll have friends by the time summer happens and I can enjoy that properly. What I didn't anticipate is that kind of Londoners are hard to pen like to make friends with to begin with and also hibernate a bit in winter. And so I found it really tough to make friends with to begin with but I was single for the first time in my adult life. And so I tended a lot. Like I went on 52 first dates in nine months. Um, nice. And within, within that, most of that was telling people, I'm only here for two years, can't be anything serious. But actually, as it turns out, luckily, my wife and I kind of aligned on coming home and had a really good connection. And here we are. Okay. As you were both planning to come back to Australia. Yeah, at some point. At some point. Oh, at some point. At some point, yeah. I, I, I don't I don't think I, I, I don't think I would have been able to live here forever. So it would have put a timeline on any kind of romance, I guess. Yeah, I mean yeah, that's true. Um did uh yeah, look, I'll be honest, the first time I went to London, I was there for like the first time I went there for an extended period of time is in like it was only a couple of weeks. No, it was one week and it was before Edinburgh and I've never felt more like a country mouse in the big city, even though I'm from <laughs> Melbourne. And like, it didn't help that I, I partied and like, so I was pretty <laughs> tender state by the time I got to about the fourth or fifth day. I already <laughs> get to like the seventh day and I'm like, I don't, I don't think I like it here. <laughs> like, I've never felt before in any city in the world. And I have such a romantic association with London because of obviously, I think if you read books, basically anyone's going to have an associate a romantic association yeah, with the yeah. uk but london especially um but yeah it chewed me up and it spat me out and then stomped on my yeah. face <laughs> so i have never spent an extended period of time in a city bigger than london so i can't say if it's just that once a city gets to a certain size it gets like this or if it's a london specific thing but london is a real city where it is in it is so tangible how anonymous and insignificant you are to the broader world because they have given up on pretending to care about anybody other than themselves as as like a way to interact with the world. They are not interacting with the world as a, a, a member of a cohesive, civilised city. They are just in a... And, and the, the really stark juxtaposition is that they pretend to have manners more than anywhere I've ever been. Like, they will say sorry while they're pushing you out of the way and say thank you in a way that lets you know that they hate you to your core. And it's like, I, I mean, all of these are nice words, but you hate it. It's, it's a weird place. And I'm, I'm all fine. <laughs> Nothing could be more English than that. <laughs> the thin veneer yeah. covering the dark yeah. underbelly. <laughs> But it's very polite yeah. in society. No, yeah, that, that's true. Look, I but I did go back a second time, and I was like, ah, oh, no, I get it. It's it is cool. It's nice. It it's like, and it is yeah. rocking. It is bloody. There's stuff yeah. on constantly. I mean, not now, but yeah, yes. Not, but the rest of the time, it's like it's vibing. It's vibing, and and the comedy there is good, from my understanding. 
the comedy here is is very good. I think it, it makes you get punchier um, quicker because um, it is, again, it's one of those things where I, I it wasn't like I came and I started bombing, but I could feel the nervous tension before I got to my punchline in a way I never did um, in Australia. Like I could, I could feel them being like, this better be funny because you're talking too long, Aussie. Like I could just feel that from the crowd. And so, yeah, you learn to write punch. That's yeah. good. Which is, yeah, it's always helpful. Yeah. And also from my understanding as well, uh, the good thing at the UK, it seems like there's a much more structured growth available to people. Like as in, as in if you're a second year comic or even a third year comic, or whatever you might, you can start getting paid. You might be doing shitty gigs, but and they might be out somewhere, but you can start getting paid. So you can almost really – it's a, got more of a trade feel than it does, I think, here and even apparently in the US where it feels like you can really tinker at it. Yeah, I think, and I think the way you described it is a lot more switched on than the way a lot of Australians in particular think about it because they, it is more like a trade. Like if you would like to, um, you can start, as you said, taking gigs outside of London. They're probably – variable in some of them are like I, i've done gigs in cambridge that are sold out 150 seaters closer to a theater and then i've done gigs in like oxfordshire not oxford that is like 20 people at the back of a, a rural pub where they they hate you for being on and you're being paid for it which is weird right um but so you you can start doing that that as as i kind of just mentioned does involve mainly gigging out of London where, where no, so what I think you can get paid quicker and you can get a sort of regular amount of paid work, but it is still also a lot more anonymous because the people booking those paid gigs often never see you. They, they give you a free spot and then they ask the organizer whether they liked you or not. And that's how they're making the decision to progress you to paid work. Um, so a lot of the people giving you gigs have never seen you before and really don't give a crap so long as the person booking you doesn't hate you. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, you seem to be taking that personally. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I would like somebody to, to, I would like the person booking me to appreciate that I'm a generational talent. <laughs> that I'm an oracle for, <laughs> for the truth. That I am a truth yeah, yeah. teller. <laughs> this cold business-like stuff, yuck! I'm an artist, thank you. Yuck! Yeah, exactly. Have they not seen my beard? This is an artisanal beard. It has the oils through it and everything. Okay. Yeah, no, that's a. Yeah, no, that 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 is, that, that is part of the appeal. If I was gonna, um, yeah, it seems it does make it appealing in some ways. I have thought about it before, being like making that switch over there just to like do that grind and work it up because it seems like a good way to do that kind of it, it breaks people too like i, I i've been oh, in, i could see that easily because <laughs> the mcs often it's this weird thing where the mcs often get to mc earlier than they probably should they get paid a little bit better but in a lot of these gigs the proviso for being mc is also that you drive any other act from london who can't get there um so you end up in long road trips often with people who have mc'd as i said pretty uninspiring kind of gigs and, you know, making the equivalent of about 120 bucks for the, the, the pleasure plus petrol money. Um, and, you know, I've had more than one conversation with MCs being like, well, I'm on the equivalent of about 50,000 Australian a year. I work nights every night. I'm driving three. Like I, I'm probably, if I was Ubering the hours that I spent in, tax, in uh, the gig and driving to and from, I'd probably make the money I'm getting paid from the gigs. Um, and so, yeah, you, you get a lot of them that start to, particularly once they get into their 40s, they're like, there's no career progression for me. I'm never making more money than this. I'm just driving around like this for the rest of my life. And how can I have a, so anyway, it breaks people. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so grim. Which is why I think I, I, I look. It's as you said. It's it's not a path that is available to Australians. Like it's easy to romanticize, but then the the, the alternative is like you could probably. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, yeah, I think I I, I very much got a love hate uh, relationship with the idea of of any ever 
monetizing comedy because I just feel like um, I feel like now that I've seen the the the, the uh, divergent paths that most people end up in when they do it, I'm like ah, uh, well I could keep my day job, which I I. I like I used to work in ad agencies. I couldn't keep working in an ad agency and doing comedy. That would never work because ad agencies demand so much time. But now I work in-house. It's like I can keep my day job. I can gig around London instead of taking these trips. I can get home, do a normal life, and, and still, like, put together a good show and have fun. And I never have to worry about being 50 and thinking, oh, if I, if I earn if I drove Uber, would I earn as much as I do now? Um, or just be be in that 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 kind of skill tester soapbox side by side with all the other comics who I know are just as good as me, hoping that by sheer luck we're the ones that get picked up by the yeah. floor. That's uh, <laughs> that's I don't know, that's that's a lot you've just said, to be honest. <laughs> I know it's grim, but yeah, it's true. And yeah, it's probably the right attitude in some ways if you have that ability to be able to pursue both, I guess. But it's very much putting it at the same time. Can you do that? And then, yeah, I guess, what are you doing it for as well? Like, I'm sure all the people that ended up in that, yeah. like you said, the skill tester thing or the people who are 50 doing it, they kind of were hoping it would level up and they'd be doing more. Yeah. They never got there. And then can you get to that without grinding and then seeing that as well? You know what I mean? So, I, I, Yeah. I, I mean, I, I absolutely, you're 100% right. I don't think, I don't think I'm ever going to make a career out of comedy because I'm just not doing the right things to do it. And that's actually been one of the really cool things about moving to London is that I, I for a period of time when I moved, did do the right things and got enough of a glimpse in those uh, drives home talking to those MCs to go, actually, you, like, you know, I don't know if how, how drugs sit in, in your show, but it was a magic mushroom trip where, where I kind of had a really stark realisation of, like, you keep saying that comedy is something that you want to do professionally, but your life choices keep showing that you're not willing to do the work. So is that really what you want to do professionally or do you just like the idea of it? And if it's the latter, like there is a part, and again, as you said, it's a lucky thing that I have, but there is a path for you where you can have time to write and you can do a bunch of gigs and you can write a show and you can do a show every year at the festival and um, get that creative side out of you, but you don't have to slog and grind and, and have all of your hopes and dreams pinned on this then somehow materializing into something that statistically you have seen is unlikely, even for people who are arguably more talented and then more polished and work harder than you. So, you know, um, th th there is an argument to say that, are you doing yourself like art artistic justice by, and I say, well, fuck it, I'm doing it enough to make me happy. And that's what comedy is for me now. Yeah, no, I, you, you, you just you gave just a just a just a tinge of defensiveness just at the end there. <laughs> I was not looking at that at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, because it's hard because you're like, well, yeah, I guess what are you doing it for almost? But if you're doing it just to let out that creative urge, that's 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 a healthy, it's a healthy realization, and it is, and it does yeah. help. It's weird. It, it, you're right, like as in sitting in those cars enough times, you're getting to see that side of the world which maybe you don't get to see otherwise. It's a classic thing. It's like if I've, I remember reading this once about the lottery and being like, people get missed. All everyone hears about is the person who wins the lottery, right? But if they actually just did a list, just the TV screen where it was just like every person who lost the lottery was like, yeah, I lost, I lost, I lost. You'd sit there because it will go for like a year of just one second of people saying, I lost, I lost, I lost. And one person saying, I won. You would never buy a ticket because you'd be like, well, this is stupid. Yeah. Like, because you're seeing the statistical actual likelihood of things happening. It makes it more tangible and real than, yeah, when you just focus on the bright one spot. I I like that you've used the lottery analogy purely because that's kind of, the, I think comedy now serves two purposes for me. One is just purely creative. And the other is I don't think, I don't think anybody does a day job without having some version of a lottery, some version of a, it's, it's the emergency escape exit that, is a sign, but actually if you had to use it, is not structurally. It's it's the fucking life vest on the aeroplane, right? 
It's like if you your plane goes down, the chances that this water life vest is going to save you is probably slim. But it's a nice comforting thing to think that oh, the people have put thought into it and they, they've they've got our safety at mind and everything's under control. Um, similarly, if you're working a day job, it's nice to have a fantasy. It's nice to have something that be like yeah, but I'm working on this thing, and if things go right, if all my ducks line up, I got this little thing happening. It's 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 mainly a fantasy, but it's still it's still nice. It still serves that purpose. Um, no, no, that's that's true. So, like, look, we we have danced around uh, the topic, and uh, even with the academia side of things. So let's let's go into it. Um, your book of choice for today. The book of choice for today, and and by the way, it is. I've never had one so f- just so fresh, hot off the presses. This is the first time. But yes, go on. Your book of choice is. <laughs> so it's the Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Um, very fresh. Yes. I think it came out, what, six months ago? Not more than a year ago. Yeah, About yeah. that, That's yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it came out while we were in lockdown. It, it is also a book that I I, I, um, I I literally finished a week ago. So it is, um, it is I think, one of the things that I find is, is interesting about the way that it is quickly became my favourite book and the, the themes that it kind of deals with is that, it is very um, fitting that my favourite book is the most recent book I read, considering the whole content of the book is about uh, indecision and un- being unable to commit and all of these sort of things. So I've read that and I've gone, yeah, you're my favourite. <laughs> Look, that's normally I'd get upset, but I this is and you just arbitrarily picking the most recent, but... I, I would say I don't think arbitrarily either. I think there is I, – I actually thought about it when you asked me which book. I, I actually do think this book is a lot about the the torture of regret and the way that that kind of can lead to crippling indecision and um, both of those things are reflected in the fact that it is yeah. my book of choice. <laughs> and even the method of choosing it. So actually, yes, just quickly um, for a very, very brief summary of the book. Uh, it's essentially uh, this character. She's com- considering suicide, or she attempts it. I'm, I'm not sure. And she, and she. So, basically- so I will say she commits suicide. And if you're there, going spoiler, it happens five pages in. I've spoiled nothing. Okay, and then and basically, then she gets taken to this library where every book is basically the classic many worlds theory, whatever your choice is theory, where like every book is basically if you'd made a different choice and ended up in a different life. Yeah. And she gets to look at them, and she gets to pick one. Is that right? She's she's actually looking through it and. Yeah, so so the way it works is is so she gets this. The first thing she opens is the book of regrets, and the regrets are so like loud on her consciousness that it makes her physically ill. She shuts that, and her librarian guide is like, "But the the beauty is that you get to pick whatever life you want." Uh, and so essentially, the way she picks her books because they're all untitled, all she does is isolate one thing she would have changed in her uh, root life, her base life. Yeah. And, and, and then they give her a book of th- that book and she reads the line, which is like the first line of that book, which they, they stop telling you quite early on. Um, and, and so anyway, she essentially she's changing one minor detail and then living out what her life would be like on the day she committed suicide in that life. Oh, okay, right. All right, interesting. Uh, that's uh, that's more complex than I actually first thought because obviously you can't summarize a life by any one day in it either. Like I think so. Yes, although you know, good days in bad lives. So she doesn't live the. Ho- she she can live for as long as she wants. I, I guess I, I probably should have mentioned this. So the idea is that she stays in that life until she has genuine disappointment that this is the way her life turned out that way. And at the minute that that comes over her, that genuine disappointment that her life has turned out like this, even with that decision, she gets taken back to the library. So the the theoretical cherry on the tree is that if you find a life you could be happy with, you get to stay in it. Um, That's hilarious. And the other kind of (laughs) twist in the plot is that she's not going in – Blank. She goes in knowing that she's committed suicide and that this is her mission. Yeah. And she doesn't actually know the way her life has turned out. It's not like her memories in that life uh, come with her. So she's learning the way her life turned out 
So, you know, if, right. if, if, for example, who knows, maybe this is a thing that happens. She's a famous rock star and she ends up um, on stage at a concert and doesn't know the lyrics to her own songs. She, it's not like she gets to call them back from some mystical place. No, she has to figure out what to do in that situation. So that's where some okay. of the fun of it is. Which is prone, 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 good scenes for some yeah. as well. Then, yeah. Of it. Um. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. No, no, it sounds like a very beautiful idea. Um, I know Matt Haig, the author, he's like a philosopher as well as like an author, I think. Yeah, yeah, something. I think he's one of those guys. Um, I forget the guy the guy who wrote The Alchemist. What, what's his name? <laughs> Paolo Coelho. Yeah, so I think, I think Matt Haig has a bit of those vibes about him in that it's like speculative fiction that kind of blends a bit of self-help philosophy into what is otherwise a fictional narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Look, I'm a sucker for that shit. Don't get me. Don't worry. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll happily admit it. I like old books. Definitely. Yeah. I love that shit. Ah, yeah. Yum, yum. That's what I think. I, about. I, I see. I, I really teeter. Cause I, I feel like if, if the, the attempt at allegory gets too transparent and I feel like I'm being, being manipulated, I turn against it quite quickly. Um, but another reason that this book is like quite quickly become my, if I was to say this is a book that I should be talking about who I am in, in comparison to is that this book is so, and this is a stupid thing to make something your favorite book and I'm aware of it, but it's so perfectly written for like the attention span of the Twitter generation because most chapters only go for about two pages, right? Because she goes into this life and something's not the way she's expected and she's sucked straight out, right? So you don't need an attention span for this book. And it's almost episodic. It almost doesn't require you to remember what happened in the past. It is so written for our generation, it's not funny. I mean, that's you, you, you're putting so many black marks against this book right now in my head. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just as a pitch, that's a funny, uh, that's a funny angle. But yeah, look, I... I the the idea of it itself it is interesting because yeah like you said you live everyone lives with these regrets although okay how are you because I know you you've done you I know you've done shows in the past like you do you do appreciate the meditative side of things and the all that sort of metaphysical you've mentioned magic mushrooms you've done before um, does that help you deal with your regret yeah I I think I was again I I think I was over amplifying regret regret as a word I think. What I am is so there, there. There are parts of me that it's not even an active regret anymore. It's just like, oh, I know that these are the things that I'm afraid of. Because I guess if you see yourself in a certain light, there's there's bits of you that you go, oh, I don't like that. I know that that is in me. You know what I mean? 
Like, I, I don't know that, I, I don't like that I know that ha had things gone a bit differently, I could very much imagine myself being like a, a kind of men going their own way kind of insult. Like, I don't like that I, 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 I can see that that is a path that I could have taken, even though I'm not that person. I just don't like that I know that's in there, you know? Um, really? Yeah. That was something you could have. Oh, yeah. That's, that's almost the opposite. But you can't regret that. Yes, <laughs> you know. That's you almost can. just hating yourself. You can. <laughs> you can. You can regret the things that you did that make you feel aware of that side of you or how close you get to it, right? Okay, because it's right. not like it's not like that's something that you just imagined yourself being and going, how does it feel? There's obviously actions that you go, oh, the difference between that and the thing you really hate is actually often it's like oh was commitment on that day and then the, the 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 universe around you and the way that um people and things guided you to to the person you are today who knows that that is wrong and under a slight different set of circumstances or with slightly different people around you i mean you know um so i think yeah. i think that is when i say regret and then the second part of it which is slightly different Oh, actually, massively tangential and different is just that I, I have very much been somebody who um, kind of at, at regular intervals drops everything and starts again. And, and London is just the latest escalation of that. Like, it's quite literally, like, um, within sort of six months, it was like the only job that I'd ever stayed at long term, a 10-year relationship, didn't know anybody here. And it was just like, bang, 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 new, new, new start again, who am I sort of thing. Um, and I think part of that is is appreciating the opportunity to consciously pick things that you want to keep doing and lose the bits that you don't, um, which is why this book is kind of appealing because it, it, is, it is watching or, or, or imagining somebody else doing a much more literal version of, of of a thing that I have done in in smaller ways, kind of right throughout my life, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting you're saying that because at the same time, a ten year relationship doesn't really. Yeah, that's true. Reflect that at all? That's true. That is true. I, I mean, while I was, yeah, that's true. That that, but I guess in those ten years, it was like I started and dropped a uni course that started and dropped a job and went back to uni um and i started comedy and a bunch of other like there were there was other new things but yeah I, I i think i think again all of that has been like a slight escalation like how do i do it how do i not um yeah culminated in in this Oh, and also, I guess, I guess the magic mushrooms, which also started in that ten-year period, were also very much a, 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 a pursuit of how do I not cleanse? Cleanse is overly dramatic, but like, how do I give myself a, a fresher sort of canvas? Yeah, reboot. How do you uh, version version four? I oh, know I'm I'm up yeah. to George version about twelve point three at this point. Um, the yeah. Mo was a big one. That was a whole new operating system for me. So <laughs> now I can, I can relate to the idea of a, a refresh, but obviously it's a, it's funny because, well, yeah, again, the, just to point at that, you, you're saying you started the comedy, you started these new careers, but then at the same time you had like the, the relationship there the whole time, which then finished. Um, so you were restart, you were starting new things, but it's like, how much are you trying to let go of who you were in the past? How much did you dislike that? Um, and you're trying to be, I think, you. I think, it is a little bit to do with, because I, I, again, I don't want to make it sound like it's completely born out of self-loathing and self-hate. It is, there is a part of it that is just pure curiosity, mm. right? What if, what if? Um, and so I think part of it is particularly uh, in, in the first, like the first part that I was talking about is, as we discussed earlier, it, it's a little bit being a good scientist, right? You take something out and you make a change in isolation. You go, what happens now? Okay put it back in or not, depending on how that feels. If you change everything all at once, like I did when I moved in London, it's hard to then isolate, okay, this is the bit of the newness that is bringing me joy and is responsible for that. So it is part of it is in a really like dumb, 
so, like backyard garage scientist kind of way with your own life choices yeah. about isolating the variable you're stress testing and then trying to make your findings that way. Yeah, which is uh, like, hey, I'm all for that. Big, big fan of that myself. So, uh, so you're a fan of rationalizing the fuck out of stuff as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretending. I mean, part of all of it for most of us, I'm sure, is just the illusion that you can have some kind of control over the non-existent self that you would like to convince yourself exists. Yeah. <laughs> Let that. Uh... Keep the illusion up, baby. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing on this rock. Um, well, and like, it's funny you saying that because like, yeah, I guess to go back to your first thing you mentioned there uh, about regrets of things you've done almost as a reflection of the part of yourself that you hate, it sounds like. It's some of the stuff you- Oh, afra- oh even afraid of, I, I would afraid say. Afraid of? Okay. Yeah. Um, I-, I would say like, you know, I-, I-, I think, I don't know if it's just me. I think a lot of us, We'd love to believe we're better people than we really are, right? And I think there are, I'm sure most people have moments in their life where even if they don't do anything that is inherently wrong, if you told the story to somebody else, they might be like, yeah, that's normal. Why are you fixated on it? Mm. And and for me, I, I do get fixated on just like how big the gap is between who I'd like to believe I am and I'd like the world to believe I am and the actual really what's in me is i think that fright those moments frighten me because they they threaten to bring the whole facade down yeah um i mean just to push back i guess a tiny bit because it is from what you're saying as well because i think i think people do have a tendency as well as, as you say that but i think people have a tendency sometimes to also do the opposite where it's like I'm the worst. <laughs> like, as in, nah, bro, yeah. I'm fighting these demons that I've, like, I'm I'm the worst, man. I've got this bad stuff in me and stuff. And it's like, maybe you're just normal. <laughs> you know? Oh, no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm under no illusions. I'm under no illusions that what I am and where I sit is is very comfortably in the middle of the bell curve. Um, I, I, I don't think it's dramatic at all. But I think that's an interesting thing about the fragility of just... And, and again, one of the reasons this book is so interesting is because like it, it's that whole butterfly effect kind of string theory of how things end up the way they are is because I, I genuinely, genuinely do think that most of us with a small push here and a small push there like most maybe even all small push here small push there could end up being somebody that they completely hate and and would completely think is objectively a bad person and actually the the difference is very arbitrary and very small and unnoticed into what ends up here and ends up there for a really good example of like um how quickly it can all crumble in is like just think of any kind of woke comedian hero i guess louis ck is the best example right was a woke comedian hero who was actually a sex pest and then the minute he got called out about it started doing gear about how people who want gun control are terrible and transsexuals are terrible and like went from being somebody who was like a a left-wing darling to the point where people like oh the only people who can make jokes about uh is louis ck to this fucking monster in like the difference was people finding out what he was doing. Uh, look, I, sort of, but also no, uh, because if you listen to his stuff, even his old stuff, his whole thing was that he he's saying the same stuff. He was always uh, taking these contrarian, difficult positions. People just let him off before, but he actually wasn't changing. And in, in fact, he was always like an, a dirty, dark comic uh, in terms of the stuff he would talk about, but he would just be... Everyone had this thing that they felt like he was allowed. Like I, I've only I've only listened to the one bootleg um, since the the incident, and and out of pure curiosity, and I will say that it it felt like a tangible shift of appealing to a completely different audience because he knew his core audience were no longer going to buy his stuff. It felt like a tactical branded okay, well, these are the only people who are going to listen to me now, so how do I win them? 
Yeah, I mean, maybe I don't know. I think it, I, 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 because I, I was like, I get this feels more like a back to basic sort of thing, um, as mm. part of the reset almost. But yeah, yeah. look, I, I give it, again. But let's not let's not yeah. keep going on that topic because to go back to something you said earlier, you mentioned how like the smallest thing and you could be a completely different person, uh, which is the admission of like I'm sure you're in the same school of me of the concept of free will being pretty much an illusion and uh, we are all just a victim of our circumstances. Uh, but at the same time, I would push back a little bit. And this is where I think the idea of, because it's funny you're saying that because you like to, and, and it is, even if free will doesn't exist, you still like the idea that there was unlimited potential and stuff like that. It's kind of what you're saying, which the science seems to be a bit not as definitive on, like as in we are a bit more fixed in who we are from birth than people like to give credit to. Um, so it's interesting you're saying at the same time, oh, maybe free will doesn't exist, the- but there's unlimited potential to what I could have been. I could have been anything with an arbitrary little thing here and I would push back against that a little bit and say that's not technically the case. And the book does that too. Yeah. That, that's kind of the cruel trick of the book, right? It's kind of, th- there is a bit of Groundhog Day in it as well in that like these fixed things that, that um these fixed things that are in this book of regret that, that overwhelms the the lead character at the start when she at first ends up in, in the library, um, she, she can change all of her choices within her life, but those things, the, the, the negative outputs kind of, find, they either find the exact same, they, they, they come out some other way, or it, it slightly shifts, but it's still not desirable because I guess what the book is kind of demonstrating is that you yourself are not in isolation in control of your destiny and that the people around you are always going to be the people around you. And so, you know, if you have super dependent friends and family who, uh, if you have a super dependent friend who, who leans on you too much emotionally and you let them down you think you let them down one day because you were living your life and you weren't there when you needed them. And they hold that against you because that's the kind of person they are. If you change that decision, that doesn't mean that that person changes and that they're not just going to find another one, mm. another reason for, for that. Um, and, and so the, the book does do a really good job of, of kind of breaking down this idea of like a lot of the regrets that we hold are for decisions that no matter what, like our decision was so insignificant in the way other people's lives turned out. And and we give ourselves way too much credit over the the, the impact we can have on, on other people's lives because I think the lead character, and I think a lot of us, our biggest regrets are things where we feel like we really hurt or really let down other people. And if we did something different, maybe their lives and their outcomes would be different. And the book does a really good job of being like, yeah, but nah. And and so that free will thing, I think is a, I actually find that one of the best things about the book is that, that they're not, she's not going into these, these lives where um, she makes this change and, and, and everything changes around. Well, the, everything does change around her, but she is still the same person fundamentally. And the, the, the main people in her gravitational field in her life are still the same people. Mm. She's still attracted to the same people. Um, and, and, and that still kind of ends up metamorphosizing into the same sort of problems, um, regardless of what change she makes. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, and that's kind of like, that's kind of where I expect the thing to go in certain ways because it is, because it is fundamentally true. And at the same token, you yourself, it doesn't matter what you do. You're always going to go bad or good or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. 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 And and even to just remove judgment words from it, it's like the stuff about you that you haven't come to grips with that you can't, like, is not a result of the choices you make per se and therefore changing them is not going to – there is no version of your life where you just change your choices and you become a completely different person. No, your genetic material is the same. And, like, you can be – you can be um, 
and and obviously there is like some some nurture around that and so you know maybe if if you were a a, a talented sports person as a young person and you stick to that you're going to be a fitter more disciplined version of that person but there's still going to be a lot of it that is kind of the same it is it is one of the really nice tropes of of the book in terms of the groundhog dayiness of it is like one of the first things she does in every life she gets to is that she goes to her medicine cabinet and tries to see if she's still on antidepressants as a judger of how the rest of her time in this life is going to be hilarious that's uh that's a yeah. that's a very good point i think that's a very good way of looking at it to be honest like in terms of yeah and it's not a reflection in a lot of ways um that's cool yeah so that that I guess that's the side of things. And I'm guessing the other part of the book in some ways, just because it is from where it starts with this suicide sort of thing, um, it's on the the issue of death and like appreciating whatever you got. I'm guessing that's kind of what a big part of the book is about, like as in appreciating. (laughs) It's pretty much, it's funny. This seems like one of those books where you go and you're like, I can tell what this is going to kind of be saying and generally it's going to be doing. But uh, that doesn't mean it's bad. It means I get to enjoy no. seeing it said. Um, so no, it is. Yeah, it is actually impressive how little it tries to surprise you at the end. It like it makes zero effort. There are multiple ways that it could have added a little flair or added a little. It it is aggressively committed, and to some extent in a way that is closer to realism is aggressively committed to not, not even not fixing things, not surprising you yeah. with the ending. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> and his style, like is in, yeah, if he's doing that, 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 that's that, uh, whatever that type of fiction is, which like I said, the alchemist as well. It's like, these guys are telling, it's almost fables in a way. It's, it's, it's fairy tale. Yeah. It's so allegory. It's, it's, yeah. It's allegory. So it's not meant to be trying to do something. It's, it's got its point and it's doing that point. And, uh, yeah. yeah. So that's, well, yeah. So I guess on that sense, um, yeah, because that side of things as well, the, 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 the death and the appreciation of life and appreciation of everyday thing. And again, if you want to read the best thing ever on this, I've ever read, it's a graphic yeah. novel called Day Tripper. Highly, okay. highly, highly best graphic novel I've ever read. It's so good. Um, it's about a, it's basically a person's life and just imagine they died at, on this day or imagine they died on this day. Imagine they died on this day and just looking at what their life would mean, quotation marks, depending on when you died. And it just kind of makes you realize how much it just all means something. It all means nothing. It's just, yeah, it's very powerful in that sense. Um. Is that shit that you've had to deal with? Have you had anyone where you've had to confront your own mortality or had to look at the idea of, yeah, the meaning of so I, So I'm petrified of death and always have been. Um, I am quite I, – I don't know whether it's a narcissism thing or if it's just an anxiety, but I'm quite uncomfortable with the idea that one day n- – I just stop existing and nobody else, like one day it's just not even a memory. It's just, there's no, yeah, that, that has always made me super uncomfortable. And so in terms of the way that that like interacts with my, my philosophy and love of fiction and stuff like that, I do think it is one of the beauties of fiction is that it can kind of give you an insight into the the unexpected, unacknowledged kind of beauty of the mundane and the way that you have impact on, people have impact on each other in really small ways that they don't fully understand and nobody does and it's not special and it's, but just kind of the existence of everything kind of slightly matters to and also equally does not matter to everything around it i think that's kind of cool and it is the closest i get to being comfortable with that idea is is that you know and 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 this again this particular story does a really good job of i i i I did it an injustice when i said to some extent it is twitterizing that the chapters go for two pages each and none of them really matter what is actually quite artful is the way that some of the dominoes are set up in those chapters in a way that doesn't, it feels like it's Twitterized, but actually, yeah, as 
one of the reasons it's so unsurprising in the end is actually all those dominoes were set up and you so didn't well. even realize you're taking them in. Yeah. 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 So it's a cumulative sort of thing. Nice. Yeah. No, that, that's, yeah. I actually, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's always important to get those kind of reminders of, uh, yeah, the value of the moment because that's kind of all you got. No, no, the, the, I, I, as someone once said, all literature is about sex or death. That's it. All literature ever written is about sex or death. Um, and yeah, so death as a concept is very fascinating because of its ability to remind you of living. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Have you, ever had, have you ever had anyone close to you pass away? Like especially something unexpected rather than someone older? So I, my, it, it's not super close to me but it was close enough. Um, when I was about 12 or 13, my, my best friend growing up, uh, like, you know, the first person whose house you sleep over and you spend like, you know, every other weekend I was staying at his house, he was staying at mine. Um, his dad always worked on cars. That was his big passion. And in a freak accident when I was 13, um, the jack broke while he was under the car and his dad was his dad was crushed. Um so it was it was not just unexpected in that it wasn't a medical thing that snuck up or whatever. It was also one of those really cruel things in that it is something he did all the time. And, you know, it was his thing. And somehow out of nowhere, um, that happened. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, it, it's not it, it's also one of those things like it's not like it's a conscious trauma. It's not like. I, 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 it's something I think about often, but it's also like, it is a stark reminder that life is a cruel son of a bitch and you're not in control. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's early on to get that little, to get that little reminder. Yeah. I actually just found out this phrase. It's a Latin phrase of nudes, the memento mori, which is like any art that reminds you of the tr- intransience of life, reminds you, that yeah. reminds you that death's coming for you no matter what, <laughs> um, which sounds grim, but it can actually be inspiring you know life is short and death is coming yeah <laughs> summarizing <laughs> this and uh don't be a 50 year old road comic in the uk that's kind of the summary of this whole podcast <laughs> in two seconds um, yeah because it's funny you talk about choices you talk about that and you see it and that's the funny thing about choices like because it is it is about seeing it and and that's why you like you said it's lucky you got to see those comics because it's it is it is a, a version of opening up that book and seeing that life in another way. So, exactly. Yeah, very that, beautifully that is, tying it together. That that is that is it though, right? It, it it is so often just it's so often that the other choices we could have made, the other fantasies that we have, the other ways we imagine that our life could go. Like I I love seeing when Facebook out of nowhere throws somebody from your high school who is dating somebody else from your high school and, and you just look at them and you go, Oh man, like that could, that could have been me, you know, like, um, ooh, dodge that bullet. Like, it, I mean, it you're is, saying uh, that with such judgment. <laughs> and I, 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 I am, and I'm not even afraid of them. I, I think people who marry their high school sweethearts or or actually worse, people who end up with somebody from their high school like late in life, it's like you clearly haven't lived enough to get out of your high school social circle. And that I think is sad. I don't think you learned anything from this book, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the same, bro. It's all the same. It's all beautiful. It's all tragic. <laughs> But yeah, on that, um, on that note, though, we should uh, tie it off there. So I'll ask you the same question I ask everyone uh, at this point. Uh, do you feel like you've found any new connections between you and this brand new book you just read anyway um, during this conversation or during the build of this conversation? Um, yeah, of course. I think, I think there is a, a lot of uh, stuff of you pointing out where I haven't taken the lessons and, and that in itself has been a lesson. <laughs> Always glad to be teaching lessons. That's what this podcast is about. Thank you so much for being on. I'll let you go back to your UK lockdown. Um, I'll make sure to enjoy the last few days of summer I have here in Melbourne before it gets cold here too. Um, yep. Yeah, so thanks a lot, Anthony. <laughs> your cold is not like our cold, George. Our cold. You just, you just mate. got. You just. You're not. You're not. You're not from the UK, bro. You're still an Aussie. Um, <laughs> no, nah, no worries. Cheers. Thanks for that, man.
Thanks, dude. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sans Pants Radio, then why not subscribe to SansPantsPlus.com? For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's SansPantsPlus.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.